Okay, the uh, let me let me jump back into where we're at. Say a few more things about the model, and we will come back to the model explicitly a couple Saturdays from now, where it'll become for us a bit of a information organizing tool as we think about people. Because as we're beginning to try to minister with people, I want to be using this kind of model to organize my understanding of the person. What is their view of God? This whole thing of sovereignty, does they understand that? And what is the hardship and heat they're facing? And what is driving their heart to respond to that heat in a certain way? And what provisions of Christ does this person need? What truth from the scripture does this person need? What ministry of the spirit does this person need? And then what would the heart that's looking to please God actually look like for this person in this situation? So we want to have a lot of specificity to their situation using a model like this. Let me say a few more things about the model itself using the next page for your, in your notes. The situation. What do I mean by the situation? Now I've spelled it out for you here. Everything that's external to my heart, this includes the general hardships of life. What happens in a fallen world? Friends die. Earthquakes or hurricanes, natural disasters occur. People lose their job. General life hardships. Again, grief. Things don't function the way we want them to function. The pressure of humanity, of being human. The effects of sin and the curse. So all sorts of heat, trials, suffering, general life hardships. Be more specific now, being sinned against. This is a mega theme. And maybe it's not the violence or uh, physical attack. Maybe it's just being gossiped about or feeling misunderstood. Here, rejection. All sorts of forms of rejection. Abuse in a more specific sense of sexual abuse in my childhood or domestic abuse in my childhood or ongoing neglect by other people. This is the relational kind of being sinned against in a bunch of different ways. And that's the heat. How do I respond to that? Body problems. Physical problems. And including the brain here. Including um, cognitive problems, brain disorders. Here we'd also want to talk about the um, hypothesized or real, depending on who you talk to, um, chemical imbalance theories of depression exactly what is or isn't going on, what do we know, what don't we know. Some of the psychiatric issues here. 
what is going on. Someone says to me, well, that person has bipolar disorder. Let's unpack what you mean by has. Do you mean has like they have an infection, like there's something diagnosable, like you've got hard science? Or their behavior is such that there's uh, a hypothesis that maybe has some grounding, but isn't universally concluded that there is a chemical imbalance causing mood swings. Or those kinds of things are all in this, this domain, and a lot of it is just um, kind of new science, but in some cases, the lack of science behind some of the theories of these. <laughs> Where do we put Satan? Does Satan attack? Does he seek to devour even the believer? Satan tempting? Where do we put Satan in our diagram? I'll tell you where he's not. He's not parallel with God. Satan's part of the heat. Satan's under the sovereignty of God. Read Job 1 and 2. Job couldn't do anything. I mean, Satan couldn't do anything apart from the permission of God. And I'll tell you, if I'm Job, and I'm hearing, you know, you know the first, you know the first person in the book, uh, the first uh, person between God and Satan, at least, in the book of Job, who references the name Job? Satan. It's God. Satan's roaming to and fro, it says. Have you considered my servant Job? Now, folks, we have an expression in contemporary English for when someone does something to us that maybe isn't the kindest thing. We throw under the bus. If I'm Job, I'm thinking, of course, now Job doesn't know what's going on in the heavenly places. And that's probably good right now. Because if I knew that my Heavenly Father was tossing my name out to uh, Satan, I'd be thinking, why are you throwing my name out? Hmm. Somebody else Tom Mercer. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Mercer. <laughs> it's not a dualism. Satan's not on par with God. False counsel. False teaching. False modeling. We've got models all around us. People who are living life. And, uh, you know, we we include here grandma's grandma's counsel, which 95% of it might have been pretty good, but 5% of it wasn't. Or maybe more wasn't as well. So all sorts of heat and hardships that our people, our friends, our fellow members, our children are facing. They're growing up with imperfect parents, right? Sinning parents, right? Yeah. They're sinned against. We neglect our kids sometimes. None of us are, 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 are sinless. And so our kids have some hardships and some suffering. And maybe not severe, but it's nevertheless hardships they face, too. Wow. And, of course, there are good things. But, you know, the one thing to say about good things, the good things that God allows us to have, they also can become occasions for self-centeredness. <laughs> That's why God warns Israel, 
Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 8, and other places like that, that when you go into the new land and you live in houses you didn't build and um, vines you didn't plant, remember the Lord your God. <clears throat> because good things become occasions for pride, for entitlement, for independence, or Proverbs 30. I love the prayer. You know, remember the prayer in Proverbs 30? Um, give me neither riches nor poverty. Because if you give me poverty or riches, I'll be tempted to say, Who is the Lord? So there's the situation represented by heat and dew. And then there's the person here, two kinds of people, thornbush with fruit and root, words, actions, emotion, fruit, the root being beliefs and motives, desires, treasures, affection. And the heart is sinful. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes or, or, uh, of the heart, or thoughts and intentions of the heart, beliefs and motives the stuff right down there. And it's often twisted, isn't it? Anyone remember Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Who, who knows that movie? Oh my, only a few of you. It's one of my favorite movies. Uh, this illustration won't work for you all. Then. George Clooney's the uh, lead character there. Everett Ulysses McGill. It's a, it's a comedy, but it's got wonderful music to it. And any of you who, who've seen it can, can brag about it if you want. I just saw this great film. He says at one point, uh, he says to Pete, his brother, it's a fool that looks for logic in the chambers of the human heart. Uh, it's a great line. It's a fool that looks for logic in the chambers of the human heart. Because Pete says, that don't make no sense. And he says, Pete, it's a fool that looks for logic in the chambers of the human heart. Well, no, a lot of things we do don't make sense. Sin is quite irrational, right? How does the prodigal son, how does, uh, what, how does the prodigal son's repentance uh, described? Remember? He came to his senses. He came to his senses. Sin is stupid. It's, it's foolish. And uh, when we stop and think about our sin... We realize that. And so there, there's something deeper than cognitions here. One of the things we say about, those of you who know a little bit about counseling theories and all that, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy. If you just think right, well, the problem is there's something deeper driving us than just our thoughts and our beliefs. There's just bottom line cravings and yearnings that are irrational, but we want what we want when we want it, and therefore we pursue it. Thornbush. Living, that's the left side of this diagram and what we had up on the screen before, um, up on the wall before. And then uh, the fruit tree. 
the godly side. That in the beauty of Jeremiah 17, which we didn't look at, but Jeremiah 17 talks about two kinds of trees. But what Jeremiah 17 says is that that godly heart, the godly fruit, is nourished by streams. And uh, the streams of the grace of God. And that's, that's what I think the, the diagram is telling us. And then the third set of components here, God. God and his provisions. And so we see that in this triangle and cross where there's a God who's sovereign over all and he's good and wise, has purposes, and he controls the whole thing. But then we see that he's come to us in Christ and his provisions, the cross, the truths of God's word, and the people of God. I should say that right now. You are part of the provision of God in Christ for people. You and I are instruments. We'll we'll get to that in the second section of our notes for today. And then the stream of grace, the spirit of God who, who, who brings the things of Christ, who mediates the things of Christ, who is the conduit, who is the channel to take the things of God and bring them into my soul and strengthen and fortify my soul and, and, and invigorate my soul. On your next page, you have a set of boxes. And I want you to see the connection between this and the, and the visual tree diagram with the trees. This is another way to get at the exact same material. And this is a tool that I use, either the tree or the boxes, when I'm thinking about other people in counseling. Now, I won't tell you that I do it every time anymore, but when I first started counseling, my self-discipline was to use this kind of, either the tree itself and, and draw information. So, after I meet with a person, and I'm taking some notes, and I have some short-term memory working there, after the session is over, I take what I remember and what I've written down, and I basically download that information onto the three-tree model chart or the six boxes and start plugging this information in. What do I know about the hardships this person's facing? What do I know about their situation? And so, uh, you know, three kids, ages, whatever, one kid being sick recently, or one kid having some special needs, and uh, job very hard, or widowed, whatever situation they're in. Put that in the heat area. What are the problems they're tending to manifest? What are they struggling with? And how are they... um, So the next box, box two, becomes um, anger responses, yelling, or pulling away from a relationship, withdrawal, addictive behaviors, overspending, gossip, critical tongue, whatever that stuff is. And then what are the roots? Where is the self-centeredness manifesting itself? Uh, Living for the approval of other people wanting to be in control of my situation, wanting wanting house beautiful, wanting changed husband, changed wife. Box four. What are the specific provisions? In, uh, you know, in general, it's the word and the spirit and, and people, the body of Christ. But who? Uh, what are those provisions? What are the truths of God's word this person most needs? Most needs. That, that will help them kind of move from box three over to box five. 
or from uh, in box two over to box six. The good roots, instead of the bad roots of seeking to please myself or live for the fear of people, what does it mean to, to want to please God more than people? What does it mean to trust God with how people look at me if I'm dealing with fear of people issues? And then what is the good fruit that God wants to see emerging from that? Um, replacing gossip with speaking kindly about someone or, or saying nothing, keeping my mouth, mouth shut. So that's kind of a flow and that's a tool. Okay. Let me kind of move now into the overview of the personal ministry model. And since I preached on this Sunday, I did ask Nick in his announcement to you, which he did, and I appreciate him for doing that, um, putting a link there. If you weren't here two Sundays ago and wanted to listen to that, it's a 43-minute, I checked, 43-minute um, message that summarizes the passage of Scripture and gives some uh, teasers and some basic direction of what I want to do. So let's look at this overview now and start with this question. What kind of ministry are we talking about here? When I talk about personal ministry, when I talk about people helping, I want to say I'm talking about a very specific form. It's verbal <coughs> instruction of God's word, God's truth, either with an open Bible, reading a verse, or at least sharing biblically-based wisdom, even if I don't open the text with my friend in the hallway or over the phone. But biblically-based instruction, counsel, encouragement. Now, there are many other ways that we help each other. And so if you look at the back of your notes, what's called Appendix 2, you will see... 17 ways, and this was just my summary of biblical teaching about how members of the church help each other. This was some research that I had done, actually fairly recently, it's a kind of freshly put together list there, and I went through all 17 of those <coughs> ways that we minister. I think, is it called Appendix 2? Do I have the numbering right? Three. Appendix 3, I'm sorry. It's got 70, it's a one-page outline. Yeah, it is. It's Appendix 3. I didn't fix that. Appendix 3. And you can just see all sorts of ways the people of God minister to each other. So the one I'm most focusing in on in this training will be the ones related to speaking, what we say to each other, words, ministry of words. But as you see from looking at those 17, they're really not, they can't be isolated from one another. How I greet you and how I um, care for you with actions as well as with words. How we minister in specific ways, including physically, where there's physical needs. So that's a comprehensive list. Again, we're focusing on one 
kind of uh, set of those things, the verbal ministry. Let's look at our Lord Jesus again. This will be review for uh, those of you who were there on, on a Sunday two weeks ago. Here's the passage that we spent some time focusing on. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I want to back up and realize that I jumped the gun. I'm sorry. I jumped the gun. I'm not at Matthew 9 yet. Sorry about that, folks. I, uh, I pressed my keyboard and it messed me up. So here's the downside of PowerPoint. We'll get to Matthew 9 in a moment. I need to say a few more things first. So the kind of ministry we're talking about is biblically based instruction. Now, the next thing I want you to see, and there's a reason I've listed all those verses, it's to be done by members, not just pastors. Now, I didn't say not pastors, because I think pastors are to do these things as well. But the New Testament has a lot more to say about member ministry than pastoral ministry. I don't know if you've observed that. There are entire books in the New Testament, entire letters that make no reference to leaders. Galatians. Romans. Not really. I don't see much there. Maybe at the end. Ephesians references leaders in terms of their task. Nothing in Colossians. First Thessalonians says something about leaders, but also says something about members. Hebrews at the end has something about leaders, but most of the letter is written to how believers should relate to believers. Now, look at that list I've given you, about uh, a dozen or so texts. And there's more. This is not exhaustive. This is a, a significant sample. It's a but it's really not, not comprehensive. Every one of these references members, brothers and sisters. None of these are addressed to pastors. So let's just walk through some of these. Notice what Paul says in Romans 15. I myself am convinced, my brothers... And here, brothers and sisters, I think implied, of course, men and women who are reading this, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. How does Paul get this conviction? Well, he, he knows enough about the Roman church. But he also knows enough about Christ. And if they are truly in Christ he knows that Christ makes a difference. Have they gone through a training course? I don't think so. Um, they're believers. They have God's word. Can they become more and more competent? Can they grow? Can they mature? Can they become more skilled? Of course they can. That's one reason you're here today. It's a major reason you're here. 
and I suspect that you're more able to minister to someone today than you were before you came to Christ Covenant Church. My guess is that Christ Covenant Church has equipped you and has helped you from the preaching, teaching, and other ministries there. But my point I want you to see is he's talking to the members. You're able to minister to each other. Galatians 6, the context of chapter 5 is walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, living by the Spirit. Brothers, again, brothers, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, I think that means trapped, struggling, not so much caught red-handed. I think that's not what the sense of caught here is. Commentators would agree. Someone is trapped, struggling, tangled. Tangled in a sin. You who are spiritual. Oh, there it is. That's the pastors. No, not in the context of Galatians. It's those who are walking by the Spirit. It's the normal Christian life. Is every Christian living by, walking consciously, consistently by the Spirit? No. Uh, my guess is you are. That's one reason you're here and you're devoting a series of Saturday mornings because you're serious about the Lord and ministering to people. Um, I think this is you, my, my sisters and brothers, you. You who are spiritual, led by, walking by, living by the Spirit, chapter 5. You should restore that person gently. You come alongside of him. He's struggling. She's, she's uh, dealing with a lot of fears and anxieties. She has doubts and questions. She's got blind spots. Restore that person. By the way, it's an old uh, term that was used in the ancient world of uh, medical. Um, putting to, uh, Resetting a broken bone, for example. A person who has a broken leg can't function properly. So they need to have the bone healed and be able to function properly. It was a, a term used to repair a torn fishing net. So here are two guys walking along the seashore holding a net like this, dragging the net to catch fish, but there's a hole in the net. And all the little fishies are escaping. This isn't a very functional net. What does it need to be done to it? It needs to be restored. It needs to be repaired. That's the verb used in the ancient world. And there's an appropriate warning here. Watch yourself. You also may be tempted. You've You've talked to people about struggles, and sometimes that's tempted you to be go down the same path, and you have to watch yourself. That's part of the risk of ministry. Carry each other's burdens. This is a burden. Someone who's struggling with a sin, this is a burden they're bearing. And we have to help one another bear that burden. And when you do that, you fulfill the law of Christ. And you want a motive for ministry to your sister or brother this week? Just do it as unto Christ, because the law of Christ is the law of love. And this is the way I love other people. Ephesians 4.15. Here's the vision of the church. A church that's filled with people speaking the gospel. That's what the truth is here. Don't think of just honesty or confronting people. Got to speak the truth in love. You're... Uh, 
ladies, a friend of yours just got her hair done and got a new outfit and wants to stop by your house, your apartment, and show you her new hairstyle and her new outfit. And she says, what do you think? And you, frankly, don't like it. But, being a good biblical Christian, you'll learn to speak the truth in love. So how do I... How do I tell her I don't like it? But do it in love. That's not what this passage is about. This is not about honesty or candor or confronting people but doing it nicely. You're missing the whole point of the passage. The point of the passage is this gospel is so controlling me that I, I talk about Jesus with people and I, talk, I bring Christ to one another. Now, that might include confrontation, but it also would include comforting people. Speaking the truth in love means bringing comfort every bit as much as it means confronting with hard truths. It's a passage that people always misuse. I hear it all the time, regularly. hear it in counseling circles all the time. It's not what the passage is saying. You can study on your own. You can check me out on that. Colossians 3, this vision, the word of Christ drawing you richly as you teach and admonish one another. So God's word is your word. It's been given to you as the body of Christ, not just the pastors. Believe me, I'm, I mean, I'm pastor for many years, and I'm not lowering the office. I'm hopefully helping the office. <laughs> uh, because the more you all doing this, the less I have to, as a pastor, do all these things and, and shepherd people. So we're really expanding the ministry by seeing the, the beauty of um, the one another's. As, as uh, someone has well put it, the Reformation... In, in destroying the Catholic uh, vision, you know, the Catholic structure, did not abolish the priesthood. The Reformation abolished the laity. It didn't take away the priest. It raised the people to become priests. We have immediate access to God, like priests once had, and we have privileges of membership and access. We have direct access to God. So it's, it's members of the church. First Thessalonians. He's referenced leaders in the church in the prior verses. Now he says, we are Jew brothers. Warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Pastor, I'm really concerned about so-and-so. I haven't seen them at church for weeks, maybe even months now. I wonder if you should give them a call. <laughs> What does this text say? Brother, please, sister, please, you give them a call. You tell them you miss them. You tell them you love them. You tell them you wonder how they're doing and we haven't seen you for a while. Titus 2, addressing the older women. Now, it's not that uh, Paul or Titus had no ministry with younger women. We're not saying that, that pastors don't have involvement and, and coaching and counseling and encouraging men and women in the congregation. That's not the point. The point is there are specific roles that members of the church can play. And all these texts, every one of these, is addressed to the body and not to pastors. Hebrews 3. See to it, brothers, brothers and sisters, inclusive there. None of you has a certain kind of heart, sinful unbelieving, that turns away. Verse 13, encourage one another. Encourage one another. Uh, daily, this, this idea of 
of, of a frequency, of an ongoingness of it all. Why? Why is this vital? Look at verse, the end of verse 13. None of you, believers. This isn't talking about the lost. This is talking about people professing faith. None of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin is deceitful. And as one of my mentors would always say, and guess who it deceives first? It's me. It's you. This is the reason we need one another. This is the reason we can't be the desert island Christian. This is the reason why the Word and the Spirit... Can I say it this way? And I, I really mean this, but I need to understand what I'm saying here. Are not enough. Because the Word teaches us and the Spirit directs the entire body. And in that sense, it would be against the Word and against the Spirit to try to live the Christian life alone. In that sense, what I mean, the Word and the Spirit are insufficient for your growth. And therefore, it's insufficient for your friends and your children and your spouses and others in your world. <clears throat> and it is because we're blind and we need someone to assist us. And that's what Hebrews 10 says, spur one another on for loving good works, good deeds. Don't give up meaning together. But... Um, Got to plug this in. Not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. I thought church attendance problems only existed in Christ's covenant in the 21st century. No, 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 no. <laughs> not just my church, not just your church. It's been there for a while. But I love this passage because there's a vision of what the church should be doing. It's not just attendance, is it? It's attendance with purpose. It's inten attendance with intentionality. If all we do is come on Sunday and you know, sing and listen to the word taught and say hi to each other, we're missing the vision of New Testament church life. And I'm probably preaching to the choir here because you're evidently concerned enough to want to go through this training, but... We need to encourage others to have this vision of ministry to one another. And then James, dealing with those more severe cases of people turning away. Brothers, again, brothers, sisters, if one of you should wander, one of you. So I'm talking about lost people here. Should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back remember this whoever turns a sinner from the air of his ways his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sin and so these are the passages and there's several more as I mentioned that form for me a basis for why we're getting together here on Saturday mornings in order to become more skilled in how to minister Christ bring Jesus to our struggling friends And thirdly, I need to say that this kind of ministry is guided and empowered by God, the triune God and His saving work. So many of the mutual ministry passages, many that I just talked about, uh, others I didn't mention, so many of the one another passages, 
are found in the context of God's grace. So just a couple of examples I've listed for you here. In Mark 10, the people are... Uh, the disciples are fighting with each other. <laughs> no surprise. They've done it before. They're doing it again, all right? These are Jesus' closest friends. They're hanging out with Jesus. They're spending time with Jesus, and they're fighting. And it tells us something about how much conflict continues on in, in our hearts. And so Jesus talks about how, in the previous verses they are how the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over people. Verse 43, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And if the passage stopped there, we would walk away saying this, okay, Christ is commanding us to be servant-minded, to sacrifice for other people. That's what God's Word calls me to do. That's what I need to be. But Jesus does more than that here, doesn't he? He's going to give us an example. In fact, the greatest example possible, the example par excellence, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Even the Son of Man. In other words, if anyone ever had a right who walked on this, this, this planet to command and demand, expect servants, servanthood from other people, it was Jesus. But not even Jesus acted that way. Not even Jesus. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And, and now, of course, do the thing that no one else can do. Give his life as a ransom or a sacrificial atonement. But self-sacrifice is the point. And Jesus models that for us. He demonstrates that by his life and death and resurrection. And therefore becomes the model for us as we serve other people. <clears throat> Ephesians, of course, the breakdown, I'm sure Pastor Tom uh, has, has, has expounded this passage, but Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, all about God's grace. Uh, nothing about any commands, any behavioral change in chapter 1, 2, and 3. Then he comes to chapter 4, and here's the pivot, here's the turning point. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The calling you have received, chapter 1, God's grace in Christ. Live worthy of that calling now, chapter 4, verse 1. And what does that look like? Don't drink or smoke or chew or go out with girls who do? <laughs> well, yes, I think that's contained in uh, other places in Ephesians 4, um, in seed 4, <coughs> chapter 4 and 5. But notice where he starts. He starts with body relationship. How you treat each other. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. There's, there's the starting place, at least in Ephesians, for what it means to live a life worthy of the calling. You see how relationally, um, uh, how relationally focused this is. You go later in the chapter and you see these calls to treat each other a certain way. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. And notice again what he does. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. God becomes the model. God becomes the foundation. God's forgiveness of me leads me to forgive other people. And, um, 
next chapter actually, but get rid of the chapter divisions there. Be imitators of God. That's verse 1. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. So there's the command. Imitate God, live a life of love. Why? Well, because you're dearly loved. And because Christ loved you. And so, just just pause at these three points here, because this is what's going to drive the steps that we're going to begin to talk about today and then on into the following weeks. Biblically-based instruction that we give to each other, done by us as members, guided and empowered by God in His saving work. And so now let me get to the place where I had jumped forward to Matthew chapter 9. And so here are the three steps. Well, we will unpack step one next week. Be very explicit, give you some very practical things about what it looks like to uh, enter a person's world. We'll talk about uh, greeting people. We're really going to focus a lot on the character qualities, the inner components of the Spirit's work in us. What are the qualities we need? What does it mean to be incarnate? How did Jesus incarnate himself, and why is that so important for his ministry? What does it mean then to greet the person, to give hope, to spend time with the person? To develop a a welcoming relationship? How does that invite the person to entrust himself to you? Because people will not allow us to give them direction, allow us to shepherd them, unless they believe that we care about them, unless we unless they believe that we, we love them. We'll talk about gospel humility and gospel hope and what does gentleness mean, some of those qualities we'll look at next, next time. As we're entering into their world, as we're forming that welcoming relationship, now we seek to understand the person. What's going on? Here we want to talk about learning to ask good questions. We'll get to some practical skills there. How to be a good listener. And uh, how is God the great listener of us? And how do we learn to listen to other people? Some do's and don'ts, some suggestions along the way. Knowing people as people and not just sins on two feet. Someone has put it. People are not sins walking around with two legs. They're people. Now, they're people who have remaining sins of sins of behavior and unbelief struggles and all that. <clears throat> and, and with this step two, we'll also talk about how to organize things we're learning. We'll come back to the six boxes there as a tool, talk, talk more about how to use that. I'll try to give you some case examples along the way as well. And, and let me add to this, as Jesus, as the text tells us in, in Matthew 9, he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. So how do we do all this understanding of other people with compassion, <coughs> with a basic bent to want to help? 
with a basic bent not of judging, but of feeling the pity uh, toward them. What does that look like? How do we cultivate some of that? And then that's leading us to, and these are these are steps, but don't think of like step one and then you stop doing step one and then you start step two. They're, they're almost, they're just kind of always um, cycling through every time we talk with people. We want to continue to enter, understand, and bring. Enter, understand, and bring. Well, then we want to bring Jesus. We want to be able to speak God's word. Sometimes with an open Bible and quoting, Sometimes, at least with biblical-based instruction, though we want to get to the point where we can open our Bible and have them open their Bible, but a lot of it's going to depend on the setting for that. Speaking God's Word, notice here, to comfort or confront, depending on the need of the moment, <coughs> directing the person to specific changes. And notice, I, and these are very intentional, we'll unpack all this. Through practical instruction, so we're sitting down with someone, we're giving them suggestions on how to respond to this. So what should I say, or what should, what should you say, what shouldn't you say when your child does this, or your husband says this? Um, and homework. Yeah, how do you give homework to a friend? <laughs> do you write a, a script? No. Uh, Dr. Bill could do that for medical things. <laughs> I, can, I can't do it for medical things. Uh, I've sent to people that I am a doctor now. So I'll give you a prescription and it's to read this passage, you know. But whatever it is, but um, what does that look like for you? How do you do that practically? How do you do it over the phone? Um, some, some, some tips there, maybe helping people that way. And then, and then you know, they, they've gotten a point of insight and they've actually turned a corner, at least in, in, in their mind and their heart, but they now have to learn to live it out, and it's going to take some time. So how do you coach the person? How do you progressively walk with them in an ongoing way? And uh, really the ultimate goal here, it's not in your notes, is to equip them to minister to other people. So I do believe, just like some of you have been taught about discipleship, you kind of disciple someone so they can in turn disciple someone else. I think that's what counseling is for me. I, I, I commission people when I'm done. and the, you know, They come through, they work through these issues pretty well in their life. There's a commissioning time at the end. Go now and find some other people. In fact, you don't have to find them, do you? You already know who they are. Because <laughs> they're, they're coming to you because they know your struggles there. Okay. Let me see if you have any questions, and then I'm going to give you what I want to ask you to do for next week. So we've got about five minutes for questions, and we'll be done at 11 that way. I'll take a minute to sh- mention this book. Yes, please. You, you mentioned earlier the verse that was misquoted and misunderstood a lot. And I was having trouble understanding it when you said that, so I think okay. maybe we ought to... Sure. I was referencing Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, and how we often <clears throat> limit that verse to situations where we have to confront where we have to uh, say something that might come across unkind, but I've got to do it with love. So we, we, we pit speaking truth and love, but the passage doesn't pit those against each other. The, the context is a relationship of love where we speak the truth. What is the truth in Ephesians? It's, there's six places it's used there. Look it up. It's the gospel. It's speaking the gospel. 
I gave the illustration there of you know the woman who uh, comes to you and says, hey, what do you think of my hairstyle or whatever. Let me be a little more practical. Uh, I'm in a small group setting, let's say. And one of the members of our group, or just a men's group, is just turning wet. They're not coming anymore. They're getting cold to the Lord. And so we have this discussion among the men who are in the group. Hey, one of us needs to go talk to, to Joe. Yeah, you're right. Um, which one of us is going to talk to him? I don't think I know him that well. Well, you know, do you know him well? Okay, so we decide that Tom's going to go talk to Joe. And But Tom says this, okay, but listen, you guys need to pray for me that I would speak the truth in love. You see what's going on there? There's a sense in which speaking the truth in that context means rebuking, confronting. I'm waiting for someone to say, someone in our church was just widowed. Would you pray for me? I need to go speak the truth and love to her. See, we don't use that same mindset when we talk about comfort. We've automatically pitted truth versus love in Ephesians 4.15, but I don't see that in the context. It's not in the language of truth. It's gospel. It's not in the contextual flow there. So what happens, here's a little lesson in Bible interpretation. Whenever you mishandle a verse, you commit two errors, not one. What are the two errors you commit? Let's see if you can guess this one. You make the verse what? Say something something it doesn't say. We could call that a sin of commission. But what's the other thing we commit? Or what's the other way we mishandle it? We miss what it does say. And here's what it does say. The body of Christ learning to bring Jesus to each other. So that's what I was trying to get at with my comment. Another question? Yes, please. Yeah, excellent presentation this morning, by the way. That was fantastic. Um, so I would like to hear more if you have any suggestions about entering into the world of the other person and how we can communicate that to people rather than crisis. Like earlier on, is, mm-hmm. are there ways to enter in to just be that kind of person who I love it. Yeah. might encourage yeah. people more? How do we even break that down? Yeah, great. Let me uh, sh- kind of repeat the question, give a little, kind of a hint of where we're going. The, the question has to do with how do we enter into someone's world when it's not just a crisis time, but how do we more proactively and uh, initially begin to form these kinds of relationships? And I'll add to that, so that when a crisis does come, we're already involved with them and we don't have to suddenly jump in as a... As a, new, as a new person into their life just when a crisis occurs. Uh, my answer is next week, because that's what we're going to focus on a lot. I hate to do that to people. Uh, the, the, the short answer, I think, is going to have to start with what is it that makes us approachable or non-approachable? And how do we learn to move toward people? And with that is... Is it really our intention? See, a lot of this has to do with just plain old intentionality. I mean, do we want to really enter someone's world? And I think I mentioned it in the sermon. Just, I'm trying to, to remember that when I'm driving to my church building on Sunday morning, to kind of frame my mind of not just coming to hear a sermon, or if you're a teacher in a teaching role, not just going to teach the children or whatever ministry you're in, 
And not just to sing, or if you're in the worship team, not just to minister that way. But do you come to the church building on a Sunday morning with an intention of wanting to connect with people and see how they're doing and be an instrument of love and grace and hope? That's it starts going to start there. We'll get more practical hopefully next week on that. Okay, so... Homework! Okay, obviously there's no exam. Um, Vic may or may not give you a certificate. <laughs> and we don't, have the, we, we don't have the testing list. But these are my suggestions that will make this class richer for you. I think it's Appendix 4. Maybe the numbering's off. It's an article. Several pages article. Big picture process. Yes, big picture process. That appendix... This is not written down for you. Yes, thank you. But it's simple. Yeah. So read the appendix. It's an article that I wrote. It's not a published, well, it was published years ago in a non-journal setting and uh, developed since then a little bit. I just want you to note two or three insights and, and one question. Now, I don't know how we're going to do the discussion time here. I don't know if I want to try to have you break up into groups of two or three. I'll have to think about that. Or we're just going to have a big group discussion. And Obviously, there's 40 plus of you. I'm not going to ask each of you for an insight or I'll deal with all your questions, but at least a couple of you. Maybe we can have some discussion based on that article. The article is modeling. It's explaining the enter, understand, bring model, but it's also giving a case situation of someone that I counseled and how that model guided me in my counsel. So, number one, read the appendix and note some insights and a question. Number two, these are passages. They're actually in your notes already. They're, they're, they're the main text we'll look at in lesson two. But there's some of the text to think about. Hebrews, Colossians, 1 Corinthians, and Luke. And then the third thing, as your time permits, will be to read... Page 11 is where the starts. There's some introductory material you can read if you want. Um, actually, there isn't. I forgot. Page 11 starts with the introduction, and it takes you through, um, I would take you through page 40. So they're just three very short chapters. It's pretty, uh, pretty basic good stuff. What I want to do next week is just see if you had a question or an insight or something hit you from the book. We're not going to take much time. I may even have to cut us off a little bit. Um, but I think you're going to find this as a uh, very good supplement to everything we're doing on these Saturday mornings. Okay? Let me pray for us. It's, uh, it's 11 o'clock. And... Ask the Lord to, one thing is to help you clear your schedules. I know you've got things happening in your lives, all of us do on Saturdays. But uh, mainly to help you now get that vision for wanting to help people grow and change. So I'll lead us in prayer. And then you want to, yes, let me, let me pray and then I'll let uh, Pastor Nick uh, close our time. Father, thank you so much that in Jesus you have come to us in this way. You have moved toward us. You have accepted us. You've embraced us. And you have changed us forever. 
You've made us your sons and daughters, but you've also made us brothers and sisters with each other and with other members of our church. And so would you strengthen our resolve to want to grow and change and our resolve to want to minister more effectively to our family members and friends. Guide us in the coming uh, coming weeks, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.